Blog Talk Radio. March 11, 2017, and you are listening to Journey into Passion with me, an EKS on Everyday Folks Radio. Because I wasn't able to air shows last month, I have decided to extend my series, Celebrating Black History and Love. Today and next Saturday, I will be celebrating different areas of black history, including African Americans who have made some important imprints in history. Now, keeping you up to date with Everyday Folks Radio Network. Billy Jones will not be airing his show, BJ Speaks, tomorrow. However, if you miss his interview with Ricky Dorn, author of Strands of Rhyme, Poems for the Real World, it is still available on the Everyday Folks Radio lineup at www.blogtalkradio.com slash everydayfolksradio. You can see more information on Ricky Dorn's book, and that is R-I-C-K-I, D as in David, O-R-N as in Nancy, that's her name, and the book is called Strands of Rhyme, Poems of the Real World, and Billy Jones' book, Everyday Folks, Short Stories on the Common People, on Amazon. Now, Ricky, Billy, and I are members of the South Florida Writers Association, and you can see more information on the association at www.southfloridawritersassn.org. If you're a writer or an aspiring writer in the South Florida area, please join us on the first Saturday of the month at 10.30 a.m. in the Pinecrest Library. Also, make sure you're keeping up with the ladies of K-pop every other Friday. I believe their next show will be on March 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I want to thank once again to my thank you once again to my fellow entrepreneurs of On the Move. I appreciate you coming on the show. And to my listeners, make sure that you stick with us because we have some great things coming up. Happy birthday to my friend, Mrs. Robin Gordon. Enjoy your birthday weekend. To get a list of my upcoming shows for March, please go to my blog at anikemadison.com and then go to the About Me and Radio Show category. You can also visit my Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Journey into Passion with Anike S. Today's show, History Within Your Family, is about celebrating the historical events that have occurred within our own families. I think it is important that we not only remember the events that have helped shape history for African Americans, but also look at the history that has shaped our own families and our own lives. I hope this, this show inspires you to find out history within your own family. And my grateful moment is quite simple. I'm thrilled to have my own mother, Mrs. Sylvia Madison, on the show to share the imprints that she, my grandfather, and great-grandfather have made on black history. I'm amazed by her accomplishments, grateful for her unconditional love, sacrifices, and grateful for her wisdom. If you have any questions or comments for my mom or myself, please call 347-539-5372. Once you're connected to the show, just press the number one on your keypad. If you're on the call now, you can also press one, and I will know that you are ready for a comment or a question. And as always, you can send an email to anikepassionjourney at gmail.com. And now I'd like to introduce my mother, Mrs. Sylvia Madison. Mom, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am really excited. I can't believe I am on a talk show that is a talk show that belongs to my daughter. This is a, quite an honor. I'm very excited. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. I appreciate all your support. Now, let's begin on your journey from your first transformation. Now, as a child, you were shy, but as you got older, you really came out of your shell and went on to enjoy some major accomplishments. When did you first start coming out of your shell and how did you do it? Well, this is pretty important in, uh, to note in everybody's life. That at some point in everyone's life, there's a time in which there's a little 
something that an event or something that happens can make you change your thinking, your way of living, or whatever it is. And mine happened when I went to college. As a child, I was shy. I was raised as a daughter's daddy's girl, and that was that was all well and good and protected. I'm from Virginia, but we we at the time I was growing, we we knew about the integration. We had accepted that way of life, but it wasn't just something that was thrown in our face. It was sort of under the table. And when I decided to go away to school and I wanted to go south to Florida A&M University, my parents had a fit, but because their baby daughter was going away. But the bottom line was I wanted to sort of reinvent myself. They didn't know that, but I wasn't sure what it was going to be. And when I got south into Tallahassee, uh, one of what really happened was we were on our way to pick up some friends from the bus station who were coming into to back to college campus, and I was a freshman. And I went to the bus station, and I encountered what turned out to be, and didn't know it, a turn point in my life. I saw a black, and a, no, no, I saw colored water fountain for coloreds only. I stopped and looked at it because I had never really seen it. And I didn't get angry, but I was insulted. A colored water fountain in a public place. And I'm saying, wow, this really exists. And then, of course, there was the white on the better side of the bus station. And I was so insulted that I decided at that point in time, oh, no, this was totally unacceptable. I'm a college student, and we are intellectual, and there's got to be something better than that. So that really changed me. So I left home as a shy, and I came back more radical. Wow. <laughs> okay, I'm hearing this story for the first time on the air. Yeah, wow. thank you for today. This, that's, that's something else. So really, so that was really your first account. You have never actually seen that before. No, because as a child, you know, you – if you, I was dressed, I always was, you know, my dad had cars, so I didn't have to ride the bus, so I didn't know about riding in the back of the bus, and we went to the neighborhood schools, and they were all black, and it was, uh, the, you know, you, you knew where you were going to go. You are going to go to your all-black elementary school, to your all-black uh, high school, junior high, on up, and they were very, uh, they were good schools. There wasn't anything about those schools to say, wow, they let you know that you were segregated, and um, so it wasn't it was not ever thrown in my face until I, be, I went south and I saw a colored water fountain and that insulted my intelligence. And I grew up in a, in, in a neighborhood, an area where we were always, we weren't, you know, we were always developed and thought to be that we are greater than who we were. And it was a neighborhood that all the children played together and we didn't have a problem with a lot of, 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 of issues, except that we knew that we had our colored movie theaters and our, our schools that we went to, but we were smart and educated. And the first educate uh, integration that we kind of had in my family did start with my father and grandfather, and uh, it sort of went down the line into uh, generations to come. So, yeah, that was my change. I became radical, as it were. Wow. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, okay. I never knew that. So it's, it's, I just find it fascinating that, you know, during this time, anybody that came after that period, from my, my, my generation, actually was the first generation to come after that whole period, we have in our minds that it's the segregation everywhere and all the blacks, all, all, all the blacks knew that they had to be over here and over there, and, and that was just the situation. But now you're, you're just kind of changing that for me right now because I – now we're now I'm thinking now I I didn't realize that there were there were some that actually didn't even get involved in all the sec, the segregation. No, because when you're raised in an in an era or time, this is how you're raised up, and you accept your your environment, you accept where you're raised and how things are. It's just the way things are, and uh, the social uh, change came because some of us recognized, wow, this ain't something. This isn't right. And so there's different ways that 
the change was implemented in your lives. You had, you know, the Black Panther movement. You had Dr. Martin Luther King. You had from one extreme to the other. And it was up to you to decide how you were going to handle and participate in this social change. And that was the life. It wasn't as though we had an option. It was the environment that you were raised in, and you had to participate in the social change or you had to, to die in that social change. And it was that social environment. So it was up to you to decide what you were going to do. Wow. You went on to some incredible things. You pledged Delta Sigma Theta sorority, and I'm going to give all the Deltas a chance to do their work. <laughs> No, I'm going to be, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do the woo-woo, but yes, I am a member of the Delta Sigma Theta sorority, uh, and I'm proud of it. Uh, it was important that uh, we progress in, in your college level, and so becoming a member of a sorority was important in that time. Awesome, awesome. And not only did you, be, you become a member, but weren't you president? Yeah, we <laughs> did a few things on college campus. <laughs> wow, and um, you were who's who among colleges, and, and, and you graduated cum laude. I graduated somewhere near the top. You see, it was important to me when I looked at that and that changed my mind, I made a decision, and this is what – I'd love for young people to do today, make a decision and do it. I made a decision, oh, no, this is unacceptable. I may not, I don't, I may not make a great impact, but I'm going to do something. I'm not going to accept this. I, I'm an intelligent woman, and you're going to tell me I have to drink from a colored water fountain or mm-hmm. I have a colored uh, restroom to go to or I can't eat here. It actually smacked me in the face when I went to Tallahassee, mm-hmm. and I said, there, this is real. So... I studied hard because I had to prove that, you know, that we are intelligent. So I worked hard, studied hard, and did everything very aggressively. And uh, that's how you ended up, uh, you know, you, you, did, you did well in your classes and you, you did well on the campus. And that was my, my goal. Wow. And as I mentioned earlier, and as you continue to, to, to talk, I'm just amazed about the different imprints that you, that you made personally. And one of the things that stands out to me is the fact that you attended an all-white class at Florida State. At the time, it was an all-white college. And you became a part of integration history just by going, simply going to that class. Well, let me tell you a little bit about that. What happened is uh, when I went to college in the 60s, it was a part of the social involvement that, went, that rolled over from one generation to another, so from the 50s to the 60s to the 70s, and I went in the middle of the height of that social involvement, and so uh, when, I, when we went there, uh, we decided as a, an institution that we were going to be viable, because when I went there, uh, the legislatures were in the process of, of, of manipulating the educational system that Florida A&M University would not be a viable institution. And so we said, oh, no, that will never happen. So we had a, an aggressive uh, doctor president, Dr. Gore, and then subsequently Dr. Perry, who said, no, we are a viable institution, and you're going to recognize us as who we were. And so we did uh, several uh, that were probably first in, the, in for Florida probably and at the institution. And so I was uh, blessed to be the president there of the, at the institution of the student body. And so we, had a, we decided that we were going to fight the system intellectually. We were, not, we were going to show them that we had smarts. We did not need to throw rocks. We did not need to be fighting. But we were going to have an intellectual uh, confrontation. So what we did was we were, when, we, when I went there, we, the bus system the bus transit system was still integrated, was still segregated, excuse me. And so we continued to boycott the buses. I would walk wherever I needed to go rather than to think that I'm going to sit in the back of a bus. We were not going to do that. And so as a college campus with all black college campus, we continued the, the fight and the boycott of the bus system. And it was during our time that they finally came to recognize who we are. And so the first integrated bus ride 
uh, city bus ride happened during our time. And so we were able to then to get on the bus and sit on the front. And so that happened with uh, a lot of um, what we did was we had walks and marches. Uh, we organized marches that came, and we would march and walk from and in mass uh, as a student body and the leaders. We would lead the path, and we would walk from FAMU and walk across town all the way to the uh, Capitol. And we would stand in the Capitol steps. And we would have our, uh, we would, you know, speak. They wouldn't, they ignored us. So we had, we did it a few times. And finally, there was a, for the first time, a black uh, house of representatives from Miami. Uh, I can't remember his name. And uh, he went to Tallahassee and we got his ear. And he helped us to organize another march. And so he, the first black legislature in Florida with the rest of us, and we walked again from all the way across town, across tracks to the to the to the um, Capitol steps. We finally got them to listen and they and to acknowledge that we are an intellectual uh, institution and that we need to be recognized. And so it, it that happened, and and in the process, Doctor. Perry was extremely, our, our president at the time of the university, established, helped to establish a relationship between Florida a University and FSU for the first time. And it was called a cooperative program. And so when the cooperative program, that I mean, they wouldn't fully recognize us, but that was step one. So we had a relationship with them, and they opened the doors to allow us to come. And so what did Miss Radical do? <laughs> I said, okay, that's good. And I, since I was president of, of student body, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be I'm gonna be the first one. So I, it was, uh, I think it was my junior year, I can't remember, but uh, I signed up for one class just for the sake of going, some advanced psychology class, just to say I went there mm-hmm. uh, and uh, walked into class and uh, too radical-minded to be scared, too radical-minded to worry about whether or not there's going to be any repercussions because it was the environment and it was the social way of thinking. And was I um, accepted? Probably not. Did anybody greet me? No. Did I care? No. I just wanted to be there. And I, I, did, and I worked hard and make sure I got an A. If I didn't get anything else out of that one class, I got an A. So I just proved the point. I didn't... I just wanted to be in that class and just wow. prove a point. Wow. So, I mean, how were you feeling when you walked in there? Did you have any – did you have any fear? Were you feeling anything? I mean, or were you just like, I am defiant, I'm going to sit down and take the court? I didn't have defiance. I had determination. Mm. I didn't have fear. I had determination. Mm-hmm. Maybe because, you, when you're, you know, when you're young and you're, you know, you don't have sense enough to have fear. I don't know. But I didn't have fear. I just had determination. That was it. And I just sat down and said, you know, I show you, I'm going to show you an intelligent black person. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. 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 I just, when you were talking about the, the, the situation with the, the bus, the bus system, I was just thinking about when I was a little girl and, and traveling with my great grandmother, your grandmother, who I affectionately call grandma Lee. Um, and, and I know when, we had this little. Um, we, we did. We all did it. You you rode to the mall with her. I rode to the mall with her. And I think my cousin Troy was the last to ride to the mall with her. Um, I'm not sure if Myron did. He he can tell me. But uh, we when you rode with her, you you had, you had to sit in the back. Well, when I rode with Grandma Lee, she couldn't drive, so she would catch the city bus. I didn't sit all the way in the back. She would sit three quarters of the way, which was acceptable. Mm, wow. <laughs> And it's just, it's just amazing to me, one generation later, where she and I could sit anywhere. That's right. It was, wasn't even a thought. That's right. Just one generation later, I just, that just came to mind. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, as one of the leaders at Florida A&M University, you were called back to the campus early one summer, um, the year that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And uh, why did they call you back early? Well, that was the time that I was, had the presidency position. And the president of the university and the staff called back the student leaders uh, early from uh, summer vacation 
to strategize because they knew that the campus was coming back when it opened up in September with late August, uh, a lot of angry, angry African-American students because of the assassination. So it was a strategy that we would try to do what we need to do to do what we can to quelch and to keep the calm in the university. So that's why I had to leave and come back early. Mm-hmm. And when when the students did come back, what was the atmosphere like? It was strained. It wasn't angry, but it was very strained, and this, you could tell that the, and it was very tense. And it didn't. It, it wasn't going to take much, <laughs> so to start something. So the very moment that all the students were back, everybody was called into the the auditorium, and everybody had to hear the president and we to speak to us and help us uh, through this. And um, as a student leader, then I had to speak. But you only became a student leader because everybody respected you, so therefore they would, he did that as it was psychological, mm-hmm. that they would listen to you mm-hmm. and uh, say, listen, we're all in the same boat. We're all got the same radical mind, but we need to continue to fight intellectually. Mm-hmm. So that's what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I always always wonder, like after he was he was uh, assassinated, that um, what was what were the next thoughts of of those that were that were left behind? Like, how would they carry on carry on the mantle? Well, we were all angry. Everybody wanted to throw rocks. Everybody. I mean, me too. Everybody wanted to do something. I mean, we were mad, mm-hmm. and so I mean, but then we had to make a decision of how we're going to do. We're going to respond, mm-hmm. and I did, and I said, and we're college students. We're not you know, somebody from the street. So we have to respond differently. Mm-hmm. And so we did. Um, did that happen all 100%? No. Uh, we were, we had strategized as to what we needed to do next as a full uh, campus student body. And then one evening, um, a couple of days later, they called me and says, they have thrown rocks at the end of the, uh, at the bottom of the, um, uh, near the highway, at, and um, they said that they were, they're, they're getting started. So they called us and we ran down to do what we could to come. So there was always going to be a few that, rather, that were radical. Did I want to pick up a brick? Yeah, but I didn't. I said, first of all, you leader, you can't do that. But you needed to quelch it as best you can. Mm-hmm. So at the bottom of the hill, the, any white car that came by, they were attacking. But it was a very few. Mm-hmm. So that was good, which means that the majority of the student body listened. And so we were able to calm that down a little bit. Well, if you can believe it, we are almost halfway through the show. But if you have any questions or comments for my mom or myself, please call 347-539-5372. And once you're connected, once again, if you have a question, please press the number one on your keypad. And you will be connected, and I will let you know that um, you are on the show. And it's also, I have my email open. If you have a question, please send it to nikaypassionjourney at gmail.com. Now, one of the things that I remember as a kid is that you were involved with the Southern Leadership Conference, the SCLC. And just to give a little background, this was formed after the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955, after Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to give up her seat. This is, of course, information that a lot of people, a lot of people know. And in 1957, it was formed to coordinate protests across the South and the foundation of the SCLC Transportation and Nonviolent Integration formed. Uh, the first convention was held in 1957 of August, August of 1957, where, again, its current name, Southern Leadership Conference. And so what was your role when you were involved in the SELC? Well, we continued with the, 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 the spirit of the SELC. It wasn't anything that we did that we wanted to come out powerfully. It was already in existence, in existence here in Miami-Dade County. It had to remain in existence. Uh, we continued to have uh, conventions. We continued to have uh, movements, but everything was done in order. Uh, I was just a part of it. Uh, I worked a very uh, closely with, at the time, the leader of the SCLC, I, who was the brother of the uh, SCLC uh, leader, Jackson, 
but I worked alongside him. And so uh, we just continued with what the, the purpose of the SCLC, and that was to peacefully make change mm-hmm. and uh, get, but we were more involved with the politics of it mm-hmm. and making connections with political, local political leaders and talking to them. So it was more of a political involvement mm-hmm. at that time. Now, being that you were so involved in so many of these amazing organizations, and you, when you look at today, the, 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 as far as the Black Matters movement and the different movements of today, um, if, if one of them actually came to you and, and kind of wanted to pick your ear as far as giving uh, advice, what kind of advice would you give them? You know, that's a good question. Hmm. I need everybody to understand that the world needs to know that African Americans have brains and we think, and we need to fight with our minds. It's easy to fight physically. It's harder and more challenging to strategize and use your mind. Black Lives Matter. I, we understand the reason why, but we matter uh, because of who we are and because we are thinking human beings uh, as well. And so my... my, my um, Oh, what would I say? I guess I would say strategize. Use your brain. Be smarter than the next person. For every, don't be lazy. For every one step you see uh, someone else taking, you take four. Mm-hmm. Because you can't rise above if you don't push to rise above. Mm-hmm. You can't go forth if you don't go forth. And so you say, well, I'm going to go for it. But while you're fighting, you ain't going nowhere. You're just fighting. Uh, while you are picketing, you're not going nowhere. So you're showing yourself. But let's, okay, so you pick it. But let's think, strategize, how is this going to move us forward? Wow. I think I just, I, you know me, I love my quotes. I think I just got one. Oh. You can't <laughs> rise above if you don't push to rise above. Wow. I, I know. I didn't know I was that smart. I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I knew you were that smart. That's why I asked you on the show. Okay. All right. I know. All right. So let's get into more of the your imprints that you have made. Now, you, by the time you started working for what, what is now the former T.R. Jones and Company Insurance Agency, you have already made, as we have heard, quite a bit of, uh, had, had a, quite a bit of experience breaking down barriers. What is the barrier that you broke down at this company? Well, uh, I was asked to come and work for them after years in the business. Reputation preceded you. Why? Because I worked hard to go forth. And so they called a couple of times, asked if I would come work with them, this company, and I said, maybe, maybe not, because of where they were located. And I said, no, I'm not going to that city, that part of town, because uh, it's, it's, it, none of us are there. Mm-hmm. And so, but they kept calling and asking if I would please give them the opportunity to talk. And I said, listen, if I come to talk to you guys, would you stop calling me? They said, yeah, um, this is a true story. And I started to drive to that area. And when I got to the area where the, the office is, I started to turn around. I said, oh, no, I'm not standing. I'm not coming down here. None of us are here. And uh-uh, I may not, I may go to work one day and not come home. Mm-hmm. So, but I kept going, and I said, you know, you, this is not your first time dealing with a situation which you're the only one, and uh, you, you still have some radical about you. So I went there. They were very warm, very welcoming, and um, I said, okay. So we talked, negotiated, and I said, I'll start working there. It was about a year or so later, maybe a year, I don't know, and I was talking to the CEO, and we were just having conversations, and he said, you know something, Sylvia, because he felt relaxed at that time with uh, the relationship. He said, you know you're the first African-American that ever worked here other than, uh, you know, uh, in the mailroom and or as maintenance. And I said, what? He says, we've been around since 1953, and we, we, we don't, you know, African-Americans just don't have a position in this area. I said, well, there you go. <laughs> Here I go again, and so uh, I worked there for many, many, many years, and as a leader, and I went from one particular, from one uh, position to another, turned out to be a, the, the leader there in charge of pretty much everything, but that was very interesting. I didn't realize that, but then when I started then looking around the 
city, I didn't see many of us. So I guess there, there you go. Wow. <laughs> now, being the first runs in the family. <laughs> and now I'm going to get into my grandfather's journey. Her, my, mom's dad, my mom's dad, my grandfather, his name was Clarence Edwards Sr., and he fought in World War II which had to have been hard for an African-American at that time. And I'm just wondering, did he tell you any stories? He told us a few stories. My dad was so humble. I didn't know a lot about it until after he passed. But he did fight in World War II. He was a sergeant in, uh, in the Army. And I'm saying that was hard because in World War II, African-Americans didn't pull up in the ranks. So he was a sergeant, and he fought in the jungle. And I don't remember the, the badge, but after he passed, I saw a badge, and it said honor or valor or something like that. And I said, my dad never did tell me he received this badge of honor or valor. But um, he followed his dad, and the two of them were sergeants hmm. in the infantry, wow. World War II. Wow. And World War One, yeah, wow. that was very interesting. Wow! And so you said his dad, now great grandfather. Yes. Yeah, so you told me that there was something that I need to know about him. Well, when they he was employed with Newport News Shipbuilding in Dry Dock, and Newport News Shipbuilding in Dry Dock in Virginia was the largest employer, probably still is the largest employer in that area. And my grandfather worked his way up to supervisor and the rigor department, and my Dad joined, and he worked his way up. And in the 40s, I guess, in the early 50s, that was not ever heard of. Mm. You don't have an – and so you had an African-American father-son team mm. with a supervisory position with the largest employer in that area. And uh, that was very – and I didn't realize the significance until many, many years later. Wow. That's amazing. That was amazing. That's amazing. And to come from, because granddad, um, he, like, like you said, he was a rigger, and rigging is backbreaking. Backbreaking. Yes, yes. yes. You, you actually pull on the rope to get the item onto the cargo ship. And, I mean, if you can imagine, now we see machines doing that. Pull on the chain. Yeah, pull, pull on the chain. chain. Wow. Pull on the chain to get the items on the ship, which we see machines doing. Uh, men did this. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. Mm-hmm. To go from that to being a supervisor, That's just, during that time, that's incredible. Yeah, when they didn't have to do it anymore and they had paperwork. Uh, yeah, that was pretty amazing. And, and they were known as the Hawkins team men. And so if you wanted a job and if you were an African-American, you needed a job and the biggest uh, employer in that area, you just saw my dad and my, or my granddad and they guaranteed that you would get a job. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't realize the, how that was until I got much older. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. And, and see that alone right there is, is really inspiring for, to me because one of the things that I always want to do is I always want to, I'm always about support and supporting others and 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 helping helping each other. I'm I'm actually um, that's why I have the the net the network of people around me and I'm you know involved in other networks because I just think that the more support we have for each other, especially those of us who are entrepreneurs that want to advance, um, we just need to do that and and to to open more opportunities and. And I guess I know why I want to do that, because it's actually in my bloodline. Yes, I was about to tell you. America, she got it honestly. It's in her blood. She can't help it. So that's why, that's why, you, that's why I'm so passionate yes. about yes. support and encouragement and inspiration, because I got it honestly to my family. You surely did. You surely did. It's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I always appreciate your wisdom, and I know that's passed down from my grandfather. That that's you got it from Granddaddy. I know because I remember speaking to him on on various occasions. And um, one of the greatest lessons that you taught me is just one word: think. That's ingrained in my brain. It's like a stamp. Think. <laughs> yes. Think. <laughs> and so, what um, what did um, what kind of um, inspiration and um, 
and wisdom that Granddaddy gives to you? It's as soon as you said that, it came to me. It's very interesting. My dad did a very unique thing. He looked at all his children and determined where they were, and he saw in me something that's different. And what my dad did, I didn't realize he was doing that. I have a uh, he's my second cousin, and he and I are very close to the point where we're more buddies and, than we are cousins. And his name was Teddy Theodore Hobson. We call him Teddy Hop. And as a matter of fact, we just put a comma here. It, it's also in my family that when, as I told you, we all went to the African-American schools, elementary school and high school. When it was time for us to grad, when we graduated from L, uh, junior high to go to high school, it was a known fact that you go to Thomas P. Senior High School. And Teddy Hop made an announcement, I'm not going there, I'm going to a white school. And we all said, what? No, we don't go to white schools. And he said, no, I'm going to a white school because I want to go to a white college and I want to get myself into that atmosphere. No, ever, black person went to a white school. And the Hampton Newport News, Norfolk area. My cousin Teddy Hop enrolled and he went and he graduated tops of his class in white school. Wow. So that was history. He wow. was the first to integrate uh, in the white schools uh, in that area, wow. period. And he and I were very close. And he would come around the house and we'd talk, and my dad would come up to us and say something real radical. I mean really radical. And, of course, during the 60s, we're talking about the Vietnam uh, um, war or something, and he said something radical about it. And he knew that we were against the Vietnam War, and he said, we need to be there. Da, 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 da. And he'd start us off. And we'd fight, and we'd argue, and we'd debate with my dad for hours. And he would just, just, just lead us on. And he did it for years. And then he'd say something that he knew I would be uh, adverse to, and he would start me, Dad, why would you say that? And da, 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 made me think. I didn't realize what he was doing was teaching me how to think, how to debate, and how to be think on my feet. Because he was a very intelligent man, and he had uh, just blessed with wisdom beyond his years. And he was teaching my cousin and I how to be to think, to develop words, to think on your own, debate, and not fall up under anybody and just think on your own. And I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. So I learned from my dad how to think intelligently, how to debate, how to speak, how to present a case. And he would say, present your case. You're not presenting your case. And I'm saying, present my case. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm in junior high and high school, and he's making us present our cases. And so <laughs> that led me right on. And so today, there it is. So wow. he taught us, and that was that was awesome. Wow. So you just, it just came down to me. It just came down to you. There you go. Present your case. Think on your feet and speak wow. well. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. That is incredible. Wow. Now, I, I, like I said before, I'm a part of the first generation to benefit from the civil rights generation, which is, of course, your generation. And so for you, during that period, what were your, did you, were you thinking about the future or were you just thinking about the immediate situation? I was thinking about now. I, I don't know if I was necessarily focused on the future. I was thinking about the fact that what we need to do is establish who we are now. Mm. And so uh, we were fighting for now, fighting to have the right to sit on the front of the bus, fighting for the right to just sit at the uh, counter. And the first time we had a chance to go in and sit at the counter in the front was during our time, fighting for the right to sit down and order food and have a white waitress, waitress wait on us. Wow. Were you an incident? Uh, <laughs> Where's your mom to sit in? Yeah. <laughs> Were you scared? No. Of course not. Why did I even ask that question? Not that scared. It was, a group. it was in groups. It wasn't like I by myself. You know, I wasn't that. I mean, Going to the to the to the class was by myself, but yeah, you had to go in and sit. And um, I don't know, maybe because you're young and you think you can, you know, you can fight the world. I don't know, but it was a sign of the times. You didn't have time to be thinking about scared. You had time to think about let's move. And because I was in that atmosphere, we're college students. You know, you it's a different atmosphere than if you're in the neighborhood and right. you're home, growing up in the mother's house. 
We're in a group of radical thinking, college-educated, going forth. And so we had our own community mm-hmm. and our own way of thinking. So scared? No, we are our own community. <laughs> Let's get things moving here in Tallahassee. Well. <laughs> anyway, That's amazing. That's, That's why I always thought of her as fearless. Yeah. Now, you, now you see why. Now you see why. Now <laughs> yeah, we try. Now let's talk recent history. What was going through your mind, I mean, considering everything that you have seen when you saw the first African-American take office as president of the United States? Wow. Ah. Besides the pride, um, what went in my mind was all that we had to do to get to where we are was worth it. Mm. That's I, I kind of thought back a little bit, and I said, wow, what we had to do, and we didn't make a national input impact so much so, but we made a statewide impact, and we tried to do something in Tallahassee to change this culture. And all that we had to go through, it was worth it. Mm-hmm. And to see that, the pride was just so, so it was just magnanimous. Mm-hmm. And so I was just thinking about, wow, it's worth it. It's worth it. Wow. That, that was what I thought. Wow. I love it. Now, I am excited to interview one of the curators for the National Museum of the African American History and Culture next Saturday. And I remember feeling such a great sense of pride when I saw our African American president and 99-year-old Ruth Bonner, who was a direct descendant of a slave, ring the bell from the historic First Baptist Church of Williamsburg, Virginia. Signaling, signaling the opening of this museum. Now, I I, I can't even imagine because just like seeing the the first black president being sworn in, what were your thoughts when you saw there is actually a museum <laughs> that holds our history? What were you thinking? That's wow. All right, that's a great honor that we're finally being recognized. I'm little I'm still got that little bit of radical that should have been there, done that, but mm. uh, I'm just glad it, it, it finally came about. Yeah. Um and being from history, Virginia, that's nothing but history. Um and to understand that in order for me to know about our history, we had to make an effort to know what African-Americans did because our history books did not include us except for slavery. So we had to go outside to figure, to know who we were. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it's a sense of pride. Um, I see it as a contribution toward the overall knowledge, but it's so, we are, it's so much to us until I guess it can't be all capsulized in, 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 mm-hmm. one, in one building uh, because we're, we've done so much, it's so big, mm. so it's a step toward. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense? Yes, I, I'm, I'm so appreciative mm-hmm. that we got to this part, but we got so much, so much further to go yeah. for this expansion of recognition. Wow. Now, if you have any questions or comments for my mom or myself, please call 347-539-5372. And, of course, once you're connected, make sure you press that number one in the keypad to let me know that you have a comment or a question. Or you can send an email to NikkeiPassionJourney at gmail.com. Now, in the last few years, you have answered your calling to be an educator. At least that's what many have told you over your life. (laughs) You are a teacher. Mm -hmm. Education, of course, as we have been talking, um, has played such an important role in the advancement of African Americans and in your life, period. And so do you feel that that's changing today? Um, Yes, it is. Um, feel that the educators today are as passionate mm-hmm. about teaching as they are about just getting the information over. But you've got to teach with passion. You've got to mm-hmm. teach more than just this is what it says in the, on page 36. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I know the passion's not there. Mm-hmm. Because when I was in school, teachers cared. And it was, I mean, they drilled you. They made sure you understood. They made sure you understood beyond and uh, so today is just more of a rote situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that you have a question about uh, me being an educator. Well, 
I have that edu- that teaching gift. I never wanted to teach in the school system. I wanted to do something higher. That's just me. And so I'm in the business, and so my teaching led to teaching in the field of the business that I'm in. And so I'm teaching, but I'm teaching in a different, at a different level so that others could understand. Yeah, and I, what I like is that you have such a unique way, and there's so many people, they want you to be a tutor for them they, because they, you just have a unique way of educating them. And so when you first started, um, first started on this particular path in your life as being an educator, what, what did you want to do differently when you, when you talk to these people? I need our uh, our business is what I mean is is not easy, and we we, we sell and we develop contracts, and so it's it's not easy to learn about contracts. So I, I had a gift to make these contracts understanding easy, and so I have um, I'm honored to teach at uh, Miami Dade College, and so it's to make the understanding of these contracts simple to understand. It's 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 a gift, and so. It's it's pretty good. Um, now you've always been a hard worker. That I've just known that about you my my whole life. But in 2008, I began to learn what looks what what it looks like to actually step out on faith, trust God, and do the hard work that it takes in order to pursue your own business. And so you started a consulting business, and now you're in high demand, and you've accomplished so many so many so many different great things. And so. Of course, I'm not going to ask you if you were scared because I know that <laughs> that answer is no. <laughs> but for entrepreneurs, because this is a, this is a scary step, and I know a lot of people that um, listen to my show are entrepreneurs. And so, when when you first started, what, what what were the important steps that you made when you first started your own business? First of all, you have to know within yourself, without a doubt, that this is what you want to do. Don't just say, "Oh, I like this idea," because if you like it, you're not going to you're not going to prosper. You got to be passionate and say, "This is me." And so, yes, you want to start your own business and all of that kind of thing, but you've got to know within yourself that you that you are one to to become an entrepreneur. First of all, because you see, when when it becomes rough, you don't stop because this passionate. Nobody can tell you that you're not, and no doors closing can make you turn around. So you've got to know within yourself this is what, I, what you want to do, and nobody can talk you out of it. It's passion. It's in you. I've got to do it. It's I've got to do it, and it's, that's, that's the bottom line. And then the secondly, once you know that within you this is what you really want to do, not that you like to do it, but you have to do it um, because you have to continue to push, you've got to not look for the easy way, but look for the way that's the best way. And you've got to have the faith in yourself and the faith to believe that it can be done because it's not going to be easy. And every door that closes, what happens when I started my business, when I didn't get anything working right away, I just said, oh, well, I guess that wasn't the the path. And then I make the, oh, I guess that wasn't it. Oh, I guess that wasn't it. I didn't let that just, just, you know, make me uh, feel as though, oh, I made a wrong decision. Oh, I just need to find the right path. So I kept going until I, the doors opened. I said, oh, but this is where I should be going. This is what I should be doing. I just didn't know it first. So you've got to have the faith to believe in yourself, and you've got to push. Wow. wow. And so um, what do you think, just give me like maybe three different examples of things that entrepreneurs, mistakes that entrepreneurs make. One mistake they make is listening to somebody else. This is your, fa- this is your passion. This is your vision. Sit down and listen to yourself and listen to God talk to you and quiet your brain, quiet your mind, and develop your vision. Uh, It's yours, and it doesn't belong to somebody else. And so if I tell you about my vision, then now you have something to say about it. That's not your vision. It's mine. So first of all, shut down. Listen to yourself. Listen to God talk to you. And and let your path be guided by yourself, by your faith, and not by anybody else. And know that this is where you need to be. And don't let anybody talk you out of it. And you, secondly, you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. And everybody wants it yesterday. Well, life isn't easy. So just be patient because it's going to happen. And know that it's going to happen. 
and have that strong faith. And then when um, you walk your path and as you develop it, develop it strategically. Use wisdom. Don't just jump at the first thing. Is this the wise way to do it? Is this make sense? Is this does this make sense? And consult with those who've been there, done that. I did that. I, I talked to attorneys. I talked to people that in the know. I stayed up under uh, entrepreneurs that own huge businesses to see how they think, to see how they think, to see what they do, and think like they think. Don't think poor. Think like they think. Um, wow. Wow. This, okay. How many? How, anybody counting how many words? How many times do you use the word think? <laughs> I told you that was a lesson I learned. Anyway. Oh, my goodness. We are down to the last nine minutes of the show. Nine minutes and 19 seconds of That's the show. <laughs> so, like I said, if you have any questions or comments, please call. Call, call. Seven, no problem. Call. 539-5372 or send an email to anikepassionjourney at gmail.com. Now, I have so many more questions. You have to come back on the show because I have so many more questions. Oh, my. <laughs> and so, but I wanted to get into a couple of very important things. Last year, you became a minister. And you've been involved in ministry for many, many different years, many, many years. And so, and had so many different great experiences. And so, but when you actually became a minister, what was that like? I was just humbled. End of story. You really called me, you know? Gosh. Just humbled. That's it. I was just humbled. And I just said, you know, this is awesome. And so now you call me into another path. Um, wow. What are you most proud of? Oh, you? Oh. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh. Okay. All right. I'll see you later. No, 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 no. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, you brought all all this stuff out. You know, you live all this life, and I'm telling you, I never thought of all this stuff. This is you thinking this is great. And I'm like, yeah, this is what we do in life, you know. And I'm like, well, maybe it's important to you. So this is great. If what you do is important to others, then you need to share it. And that, that makes me humble. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have any regrets? Um. Oh, everybody always has regrets. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let me see. My regret probably is uh, not staying politically focused as I used to, as I thought I would be, because hmm. I love politics. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure it's very interesting right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now. I'm not going there. So. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to. That's another show. That's a whole other show. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> what is the hardest lesson that you've had to learn in your life's journey? Ooh, deep questions. The hardest lesson I've had to learn. <sighs> Not to be, I'm going to say, I'm lost for words. Uh, I, if, if there's a problem, I jump at it. Mm. And I have a tendency to just say, you know what, boom, and not and stop. That just stop and think a little bit. Mm. And sometimes that's my regret, just mm-hmm. plowing my way through without mm-hmm. stopping sometimes mm-hmm. and remembering my own teaching. Mm. Use some wisdom and stop reacting so fast. Wow. What's the worst advice you ever received? Worst advice? You know why that's going to be hard for me? Because I I purposefully did not surround myself with people that would would not be able to speak wisdom. Mm. Um, I had, you know, you have acquaintances, Mm -hmm. but the group that you hung around with were either equal to you or had even more wisdom. Mm. So I I never asked in. That was just me. That was my life. I I mean, I don't have time to sit there and bring myself back down and listen to somebody give me some stupid advice. So that's just me. Wow. Wow. Um, I know you, you you mentioned what uh what granddad um did for you um as far as cause he actually started the the whole uh, idea of making sure that you think yeah. is there any other great advice that 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 has sustained sustained you over the years that you've received my mother who raised me to be independent mm. and not to depend on others Mm-hmm. So she raised me to understand that I am a, I am my own person. 
mm-hmm. and to not so that it's when life throws you what it throws you, you don't cave under. Mm. So I got that from mom. I love that. I love that. I think a lot of young young women need to, to learn that, that lesson. Um, I think it's, unfortunately, in the younger generations, I just keep seeing how it's just, it's just a little bit too easy yeah. for them to fall for things. That's and right. So I think that, that is a, that's a valuable lesson for a lot of young women today. Yeah, we need to learn. You need to teach our young people. Here I go with that think word. Yeah. And it, come on, it's important. And you need to, parents, it's our responsibility to raise them because they are born babies, not adults. Mm-hmm. So you have to speak wisdom into them. You have to take the time to talk to them. You have to take the time to take them to think and to be strong because life is going to throw them what it's going to throw them, and they've got to grow. Mm-hmm. And if they say, well, I'm working and I'm tired. Wait a minute. My daughter was born, and, two, and I went, went to sleep and woke up. She was 20 years old. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, come on. Life goes fast. So invest your time in it and invest your time in yourself and in your children. That is too valuable. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. Any final thoughts? I'm excited about today. <laughs> I was I would tell the truth. I was scared. I really was. I'm saying, Oh my god, I don't want to embarrass her. What am I gonna say? And I was scared and you just with that wisdom and that and that ability to make it easy and so I appreciate it. Um, I hope I was that I said something that was valuable mm. and helped you in your show. Mm. And my final thoughts were: I am so proud of my daughter. I just want everybody to know that. And uh, she is pushing her way through. It doesn't have anything to do with any attack. So she is doing. She is pushing. She's pressing. She's thinking. She's using the wisdom, and she's doing that which she's been taught to do. And I'm just admiring her and watching her as she grows and develops into her passion. Wow. And with that, we say goodbye. No, (laughs) no, no, no. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate you. And my final thought is, so when we celebrate black history or any part of American history, let's just remember the reasons why our ancestors and those civil rights heroes and those who were in the struggle, like my mom, just remember what they did and why they did it. And let's remember that while many are still fighting today, that we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be respected, we want to be accepted for the skin that we're in. And I think it's a great way to honor those who are gone and those who are still with us, like my mom, just to honor yourself, push yourself, and get the education that you need to advance. So thank you so much for tuning in today. And as a reminder, Billy Jones will not be airing tomorrow, but you can get his book, Everyday Folk, Short Stories on the Common People on Amazon, as well as Ricky Doran's book, Strands of Rhyme, Poems for the Real World, which is also available on Amazon. Also, make sure you're keeping up with the ladies of K-pop. I believe their next show is on March 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next Saturday is March 18th. Make sure you come back because I will be interviewing Joanne some of the curators of the Cultural Expressions Gallery at the National Museum of African American History and Culture that just opened in D.C. last September. And April 8th, get ready for what promises to be a fun and inspiring interview with Passion Roosevelt. Passion is an acting coach, award-winning playwright, award-winning actress, producer, and so much more. To hear her inspiring story to over- overcoming a debilitating illness, while inspiring others and you want to make sure you tune in. Make sure that you go to my Facebook page at facebook.com slash journey into passion with an EKS for more details on what's coming up and make sure that you look at what, what, we're, what we're talking about as I continue on my year-long health and fitness series. And it has been a joy to talk to my mom. It has been a joy to be on the show, and as always, it's always a joy to talk to you, and I thank you for your continued support, and I thank you for coming back each week, each time that I come on the show. I hope that I'm inspiring you. My, this show is about inspiration, encouragement, and I, 
I hope that you feel that way. I hope that um, the people that I have on the show make you feel that way. And I hope that you get great information for yourself. So enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a great success on your journey towards your passion. Take care.